Let's get to preaching God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're on part three of a preacher in paradise. We're on part three. A preacher in paradise. We ought to have these words memorized by now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning at verse 1. Paul says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Let's pray. Father, we're trying to learn about heaven, our future home, our eternal home, the place that your son went away to prepare for us. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us many clues in scripture about what this place and this state will be like. And although we're on this side of eternity and we're looking through this glass and it's dim, we can't really make everything out. Uh, you do reveal certain elements of the future to us by the Spirit of God who gives us a taste and a glimpse of glory divine. We thank you for your word, Lord. Help us today to understand and to decipher some of the things you've left behind for us so that we can understand and even get excited about where we're going. But above all, to get excited about who we're going to. So bless you, God, that you made a way for sinners to not only be forgiven, but for sinners to live with you forever. We love you and we thank you for your adoption plan. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As Brother Paul mentioned during his greeting, Every week there are people who watch our service via live stream. People from various states and even around the world who watch what God is doing in this particular local church. And it's very humbling. Um, and last week I was told of a story of one of our members whose sister watches from a neighboring state here in the south. And as she was watching last week as I was talking about heaven... She had a lot of questions, and she was able to have a discussion with her brother, uh, as they do almost every Sunday, because she's been watching, and the Word of God has been penetrating her heart. Grew up in church, but didn't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus. So as they began to talk, she began to ask her brother, who's a member of this church, questions about heaven. And she began to realize that she was trusting in her own righteousness and not the righteousness of Jesus. And she realized that Jesus is the way to heaven. She realized that Jesus is the door of heaven. That good works can't get us to heaven. Only Jesus can get us to heaven. And I'm here to say after speaking with his sister, uh, the brother in our church led his sister to saving faith in Jesus Christ last Sunday. So Kendrea. As you are watching, we just want to tell you, Strong Tower Bible Church, we love you and we celebrate the fact that you are now in the family of God and you are born again. Amen. And Kendrea, we look forward to you coming here one Sunday so that your brother can baptize you 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let the church say amen. 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 That's what it's all about. And if there's someone here today as we're talking about heaven and you're not sure whether you're going to go to heaven when you die. And the Bible says we don't know when we're going to die. So you need to make sure you know where you're going to go when you die. And there's only one of two places you can go. We all deserve to go to hell for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you must receive the gift of Jesus. And Jesus gives you the gift of eternal life. He came to earth to live the perfect life that you couldn't live, died on the cross for the sins that you and I committed. And after he was buried, he rose again from the third, on the third day. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So you can be saved today. Amen. You can be saved. Amen. So let's continue talking about heaven today. I'm excited talking about heaven. Wow, wow, wow. I just don't want to hear about heaven when I go to a funeral. I don't just want to hear about heaven when I'm talking to somebody about how they can go to heaven. No, there's so much more to know about heaven, and that is why we have to spend time on this. So by way of review, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions to work through this message today. But by way of review, what we covered last week, the first question is, what is paradise? Last week, we covered that paradise means the sum total of blessedness or bliss. It is the totality of blessedness and bliss. The Greek word paradisos occurs often in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in that translation in the Old Testament, Genesis 2.8, for instance, the word garden is also translated from the word paradise or paradisos in the Greek. So when God planted a garden in Eden, he planted a paradise in Eden. And so in the Garden of Eden, that is in paradise, man, speaking of Adam, had total blessedness with God, with his wife Eve, and with creation. They were in harmony with God, one another, and creation. And they had dominion over creation. It was paradise. And then we asked the question, where was paradise last week? Uh, before God planted Eden, uh, the Garden of Eden on earth, and we saw last week how he created everything in six full days, 24-hour days, and then he planted a garden, something he did after creation. Uh, it let us know that there's a strong possibility that Eden originated in heaven, that what he planted on earth, he brought down from heaven, and we looked at Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 17 last week, and how it spoke of Eden uh, that was on the mountain of God, uh, the garden of God, was in heaven, and God planted it on earth. And if some of us may think that's too far-fetched of a notion that God would plant something from heaven down on earth, then we're probably going to have trouble with the passage we're going to read later today from Revelation, where God brings New Jerusalem down from heaven to earth. If God can bring New Jerusalem down, he can bring Eden down as well. Uh, thirdly, we ask, where did the spirits of Old Testament believers go upon death? When people in the Old Testament died, what happened to them? Um, and let me just put a statement here to say, people in the Old Testament were saved the same way we are saved in light of the New Testament or the New Covenant. They were saved by looking forward to the Messiah or the Deliverer who was to come. 
They were saved by grace through faith in the Messiah. We are saved in the Messiah who came. We look back to see that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And we're saved by placing our faith in him, and we're saved by grace through faith. So God has always required that men and women be made right with him on the basis of faith on the work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Whether you were waiting for him to come or you already know that he came, and just like they didn't see him with their physical eye, we haven't seen him either. Which is why Jesus said to Thomas, who could only believe once he saw, Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's whether you're in the Old Testament or you're now. So we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus who was to come or in Jesus who came. Once again, let me ask, anybody saved in here? Anybody born again in here? Anybody trust in Jesus in here? That's the only way life makes any sense for us, not only now but, of course, in the life to come. So where did people in the Old Testament who believed in God, God's Messiah, where did they go upon death? And based on 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 7 through 13, we looked at how Old Testament believers like Samuel, Saul, and his son Jonathan went to a place in the center of the earth. And remember when we looked at it last week, um, this woman pulled Samuel up from the earth in a seance so that he could prophesy to Saul and say to Saul, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Well, where was this place in the center of the earth? Well, when we look at other portions of Old Testament scripture, that place is called Sheol. Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, and that was the realm of departed spirits. And so when people are made in the image of God, one of the things that we bear about the God who made us is the ability to live on. Now, we are not eternal in the sense of not having a beginning. We have a beginning. God does not have a beginning. But when he made us in his image, he made us with the ability to live on. So when you die, you just don't cease existing. You keep on living after you die. And you will either live in heaven forever or live in hell forever. We're going to live forever because we were made in the image of God who is forever. We have a choice in this life of where we're going to live in the next life. And in the Old Testament, when you died, you went to Sheol. And Sheol, as we'll see today, had two compartments, one for righteous people and one for unrighteous people. And so I, I, I'll speak a little bit later about this thing called soul sleep, where some people think that when a person dies, they sleep until the resurrection. No, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. So don't turn the station or turn me off. Let's see what the Bible says. Where did the spirits of Old Testament believers go upon death? That's our next question. So go to Luke chapter 16. We looked at it in the Old Testament where they went. They went to Sheol. But let's get more clarification because what's concealed in the Old Testament is often revealed in the New Testament. Mysteries in the Old Testament are often cleared up in the New Testament. So that's why we must have both Testaments working together. We're not New Testament only believers. We are a whole council of God believers. Old Testament, New Testament really is just one Testament, one story, God's love affair with fallen human beings and how he sends his son Jesus Christ to deliver us. And so let's look at Luke chapter 16 as we're asking the question, where did the spirits of Old Testament believers go upon death? 
Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. Jesus says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. When, when you have to lay someone, the, what is being implied is that he is crippled, that he can't walk. And so crippled people would do what the next verse says. They would beg. So this man, Lazarus, would be laid at the gate of the rich man, verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Make note of that, Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Of course, this is speaking of Jesus who rose from the dead. And the rich man in the, this story is likened unto the Pharisees who did not believe in Jesus, even though he rose from the dead. So we see several things about where Old Testament believers go upon death. Because at this point, as Jesus is walking and talking and the Gospels are being recorded... This is like the Old Testament era. The new covenant begins with the resurrection and with the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. And, of course, in the upper room when he says, this covenant is in my blood. So the, the newness hasn't occurred just yet. They're still under the old. And so Jesus tells us this story, and he likens this place where, uh, rather he calls this place where Lazarus goes to, he calls it Abraham's bosom. So Sheol. The place where people in the Old Testament would go when they died. We have more clarity in the New Testament. And so when righteous people died, they went to Sheol. Uh, excuse me, they went to Abraham's bosom. And when unrighteous people died, they went to Hades or hell. Let me just give you a couple of reflections from this parable. I'll run through as many as I can real quick. Number one, we see death is the common denominator of the rich and the poor. Okay, rich and poor people are going to die, so they're equal. They're going to die. Number two, Jesus refutes the theory of soul sleep where some believe that the soul is not conscious between death and resurrection because as soon as the rich man died, he opened up his eyes in Hades, in torment. And so he lives on. 
Lazarus, Abraham, and the rich man are fully conscious. Their earthly bodies are asleep. So when someone dies and their bodies are put in the ground, that is what the Bible speaks of, we shall not all sleep. It's speaking of the body, not the soul. The soul lives on forever. The soul is awake. The soul is conscience. The body is sleep in the earth. So it's a euphemism in scripture or a metaphor, a figure of speech to speak of the body being asleep because the eyes being closed. But the soul is not asleep. Uh, the soul is fully alive, awake, and conscious. Uh, thirdly, Hades had two compartments that were separated by a chasm that was not crossable. Sheol, Hades in the Greek, which later some would translate as hell. Uh, but we got to watch the terms because sometimes they can cross over. But what we need to see is that there were two compartments in this story that Jesus tells. One compartment was a place of torment, fire, and excruciating pain. The other compartment was a place of comfort, healing, and mercy. And one side has been called hell because of the fire. And then later on, hell is going to be put into the lake of fire, according to the book of Revelation chapter 20. So when people die now, they go to hell who don't know Jesus. And later, hell will be deposited into the lake of fire. But at that time, when Old Testament believers or people who believed in Jesus, when he walked the earth, when they died... They went to Abraham's bosom, which, as we'll see in the next passage, is also called paradise. So paradise and Abraham's bosom are synonymous. Um, the rich man could recognize Abraham even though he had never met him. So when we get into the eternal state, there won't be any strangers. We're going to know each other. Just like when the disciples went with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. Peter said, let's build tabernacles for Moses and Elijah. So how did he know that that was Moses and Elijah? Because in that heavenly experience, he recognized we will have a knowledge of one another. We'll know the Old Testament. They won't have to walk up to us and introduce themselves and say, let me introduce myself. My name is Elijah. No, we will know. We'll have an innate ability to not only know them, they will know us. And so we see here that this man just busting hell wide open, recognized Abraham immediately. But not only did he recognize Abraham, the rich man recognized Lazarus because Lazarus still looked like himself. So when our loved ones pass and when they go into heaven, they still look like themselves. Hang on, don't go anywhere. Another thing we see is that Abraham knew about the way Lazarus and the rich man lived on earth. So this, again, gives us an idea that our loved ones who've departed know things about what's happening on earth with us. So when you say, can they see us, I think it's sound to say, yes, they can see us and see what's going on. Another thing we see here is that you can be a believer and still be poor and suffer from sickness. So Lazarus was poor and he was sick. And guess what? He died poor and sick. He didn't have an elaborate funeral. History says that when rich people died, they would have these great burials. So the Bible says that the rich man died and was buried. There's no evidence of Lazarus even having a burial because he was so poor, so they probably discarded him. But I love how the verse says, the next verse, the angels escorted my man into Abraham's bosom. What I also love about the story is that Jesus gives dignity to the poor by naming the name of the poor crippled man that earth did not know. Jesus says he's Lazarus. Jesus doesn't name the name of the rich guy because he's got all his praise in the earth. 
So Jesus says the last is going to be first. And I'm going to honor those who are dishonorable. If we keep on just pulling out some thoughts, Hades is a place of pain, agony, and torment. Abraham's bosom is a place of comfort, mercy, and refreshment. The saved dead and the unsaved dead could see each other, but they could not cross over because there was a chasm in between. That's what Jesus said. The dead are spirit beings, yet they have temporary bodies that have eyes that see, ears that hear, mouths that can talk, minds that can reason, and bodies that function. He has a tongue and he's thirsty. So somehow as a spirit being, because his body is in the ground, God gives him a temporary body until the resurrection of the body. So again, God, we, we, we serve a great God. And if Jesus could breathe on the disciples after he resurrected, before the day of Pentecost, he breathed on them, and the Bible says they received the Holy Spirit. So they got a temporary dose of the Holy Spirit until they got the full experience of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Can't he give you a temporary body until you get your permanent eternal body? Yes, he can. We're talking about God here. Another thing we know about God from this passage is that the nature of the rich man did not change. So he's in torment, and he's still thinking he's better than Lazarus, who's in paradise. Because he says to Abraham, not Abraham, he didn't say, Abraham, can you get me some water? He said, send Lazarus to get me some water. So in other words, in hell, he still has the attitude because he hasn't repented. Now watch this. In hell, he's a believer now. But his nature hasn't changed because he died as an unbeliever. But in hell, he's a believer. Oh, he believes God is real. But he can't do anything about it now. And his nature hasn't changed. He still thinks he's better. And he can command this man on what to do. He demanded that Lazarus serve him. Well, when the rich man says, sin Lazarus, that must mean something changed with Lazarus. Because before Lazarus couldn't be sent nowhere, he had to be carried everywhere. So this means when he saw Lazarus over in Abraham's bosom in paradise, he saw not a crippled man, but a man walking around. So if he's walking around, hey, Abraham, send him to go get me some water. I couldn't send him before when he was living because he was crippled and couldn't move. But in heaven, he's been restored. He's been healed. He is well. Send him to get me some water, man. Why? Because he's walking around. He's, he's up moving. That means, like Lazarus, we're all going to be made well from our earthly infirmities. God is a healer. Sometimes he heals in this life. All the time he heals in the next life. Sometimes he heals in this life. All the time he heals in the next life. So when the Bible talks about he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and all of that, and people talk about by his stripes we're healed. Yes, that's true. First and foremost, healed of sin, the sickness and the penalty of sin through the cross. But Jesus also heals bodies on this side, sometimes, all the time on that side. And every person he heals on this side at some point is going to die. So that means that sickness still invaded the body to bring about death. You dig that? So if he heals you of cancer, praise the Lord. But you're going to die if Jesus should tarry because your body is still under the curse. So don't let any faith healer tell you 
If you don't get healed now, it's because you lack faith. A couple things wrong with that. Jesus healed people who didn't have any faith. Sometimes he healed people based on their faith. Other times he healed people who had no faith. But then secondly, when he raised Lazarus from the dead uh, in the Bible, John 11, when he came up, that brother died of something later on. So although he heals you now, you're going to die at some point of something else. Why? Because we're not living for this life. We're living for the life to come. And if we can get freed of that and stop holding on to this place, there's some people who are ready to go. And their body is riddled with sickness. And that doesn't mean God isn't good and God isn't a healer. No, because God is good, he heals in the life to come. My man is walking around. Now dig this though. The rich man could see that there was some kind of water source in paradise. And in paradise, you got trees and mountains. You got clouds. You got green grass. You got rivers. He can see paradise. He sees and probably hears running water. Now dig this. You got to be really hot and in torment if all you need is a drop of water to cool you off. Come on now, go with me. You ain't never been so hot that, uh, that, that, that just a drop will refresh you. You got to chug something, right? This brother is in so much pain. He don't need a, a whole bottle of water, eight milligrams. He just need a drop. That's how hot it was for him. And watch this. He's a spirit with a body that's burning, but not burning up. You don't want to go to this place. And he knows I can't get out of this situation, which is why he says, send somebody to go talk to my family. I can't leave here. So he had an innate understanding that I'm stuck here, burning, but not burning up. I'm in agony. I'm in torment. Why? Because you didn't accept what the Messiah did for your sins. You're paying for your sins yourself, which is why you got to pay for all eternity. And you'll never pay up because your sins, you can't pay for your sins. Only God can pay for your sins. So much is going on in this passage, y'all. Ah, the rich man remembered he had five brothers. So people in hell remember stuff about life. He's like, man, I got five brothers I don't want them to come here. Why? Because everyone in hell wants someone to go and evangelize their unbelieving relatives. Everybody in hell, if they could, would be an evangelist. You don't want to come here. Please go tell my brothers to not come here. The rich man, as I mentioned, represents the Pharisees. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he was an unbeliever. And the proof that he was an unbeliever manifested in how he mistreated the poor that was at his gate every day. Really back in, go slow. A lot of people say they know God, but how they mistreat people shows that they really don't know God. First John says, how can you say you love God but hate your neighbor, especially your poor neighbor? So you can say with your mouth all you want, but if you don't love people, especially poor and hurting people, you don't know God, especially if you have it with you to help them. How can the love of God live in you? So if you love God, it's going to show up in loving people, especially hurting poor people. Isn't this a good gut check for us all to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith? Poor people don't need a lecture. They need some help. And God leaves the poor there 
so that it may challenge our hearts with whether or not we're truly born again with how we treat. Because Jesus says, watch out now, because those poor people come disguised as me. When have I seen you poor? When you've done it to the least of these. That's what Jesus says. And so this rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. Rich people go to heaven. Rich people go to hell. You go to heaven because you believe. You go to hell because you don't believe. And then Lazarus didn't go to Abraham's bosom because he was poor. He went to Abraham's bosom because he was a believer. This story tells me that it's better to be a poor believer who begs for bread in this life than to be a rich unbeliever who begs for water in hell. Man. Abraham said he got his tough stuff in life, but look at him chilling now in the cut, hanging out in Abraham's bosom. You got all the good stuff. You fared sumptuously. I don't even know what that means, but it just means you live in large. Now the tables flip and you in hell and can't get out. Make a decision today if you haven't made one. Ah, let's move quickly. So where did Jesus' body and spirit go upon death? Go to Luke 23. His body went into a tomb. Watch this, a garden tomb, according to John's gospel. Where did his spirit go upon death? We love this story. Oh, man, this is so good. Luke 23, beginning in verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, do, not, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for, of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, y'all ready to unpack some of this here? Let's say what he didn't say first. The man says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus did not say, well, if you join a church, you can go to heaven. You can go to paradise. Jesus didn't say, if you do good works, you can go to paradise. Jesus didn't say, if you get baptized, you can go to paradise. Jesus didn't say, if you speak in tongues, you can go to paradise. Jesus said, today you'll be with me. The man prayed a sinner's prayer that said, Lord, remember me. Jesus said, I got you. And so when people are on their deathbed, and a lot of us self-righteous people don't want to think that they're going to, because they live like hell their whole life, now at the end, they want to pray. Then again, you don't have mercy. You don't understand the scriptures. This man is literally on his death cross, and he says, Lord, help me, remember me. Jesus says, I got you. The other uh, dude on the cross didn't say such a thing. He was criticizing Jesus Christ. So people have a choice. There's the cross of reception where you receive Jesus. Then there's the cross of rejection where you reject Jesus. You're going to have to deal with Jesus whether you accept him or reject him. If you accept him, you go where he is in paradise. If you reject him, you go to hell. Plain and simple. 
What are you going to do with Jesus? Not church, not religion, Jesus. And the thief said, Lord, remember me. Jesus says, I got you. Well, go to Acts chapter 2. I'll read it here. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Where did Jesus go when he died? His spirit went to paradise. What is paradise? Abraham's bosom. Acts 2.29, Peter says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Verse 30, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades. Nor did his flesh see corruption. So God wasn't going to leave Jesus' soul in Hades or in Abraham's bosom, the realm of the dead, Sheol. And Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb long enough to suffer mortal decay. On the fourth day, you start stinking. But God allows the body to make it three days. So before the body got corrupted, Jesus got up. And God didn't leave his soul, his spirit, in Abraham's bosom. Well, let's add to it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, uh, in which... A few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. What's going on, Pastor? Well, as we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, when Jesus died, he went to paradise and he preached across the chasm to those who were in prison or in the pit or in Hades as far as the, 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 the hellish side of Hades. Abraham's on the air-conditioned side. That's where Jesus was. He preached from the air-conditioned side over to the hot side. His body was in the tomb. His spirit was in Abraham's bosom or paradise. Let's keep reading. Where did Jesus go after he rose from the dead? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The former account, I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach uh, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen uh, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. So after Jesus got up, he presented himself alive for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So where did Jesus go? He was in the earth making post-resurrection appearances to people, the road to Emmaus, walking into the upper room. And one version says that when he walked in, he, the door was shut which meant he walked through the wall and rolled up in there. So his body was physical because he could eat, but it could also become immaterial because he could walk through walls. Mm, Y'all like, I don't believe that. You better believe that. So where was he? He was in the earth. Well, what happened when Jesus ascended back to his father? There's the resurrection that happened on the third day, and then there's the ascension that happened over 40 days later where he goes to heaven. He steps on a cloud, and he rides up to heaven. How can a cloud hold you up unless you're the one that holds up the clouds? I mean, he, he goes, and they're watching him ascend back to his father. 
Now, remember when he resurrected, Mary and them try to hold on to him. He said, you can't hold on to me yet because I have not yet ascended to my father. I love you, but I got to get back to my dad. So when it was time for him to ascend, the angels were there saying, the same way you see him go on a cloud is the same way you're going to see him come back on a cloud. So what happened when he ascended? You're going to love this. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 as I close. Ephesians 4, here it is, verse 7. Ephesians 4, what happened when Jesus ascended back to his father? You got me up there? There it is. Oh, man, I, I only gave you verse 10. All right, let me get verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 7. Oh, boy. Here we go. This is some good news here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one, and I'm going to work my way to verse 10, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul is quoting from Psalm 68 right here. Psalm 68 is a song of David, a song that David wrote. It's a victory hymn when he captured uh, the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And he decided to make that the city of David, the capital of uh, uh, the people of God in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, he, he captures Jerusalem. And so as he captures it, he wants to bring the presence of God into the city now. So he goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God with the people of God. And as he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, he had to do it twice. First time somebody died, he didn't follow the scriptures on how to do it. Second time he does it the right way, and the priests are carrying it on poles. And as they're coming in, it is a parade. People are excited saying, God is with us. We are with God. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. We are a victorious people. David is so excited. He's dancing. He's leaping. He's whirling. He has on a linen ephod. And he's just dancing. He's excited about the presence of the Lord being with the people of God. And as he brings the ark into the city, there was a place that he built for it. And so they go up the stairs and they place the ark exactly where it needed to go. Well, when we go back into antiquity, we got to look at this picture here. When a king would conquer another country and the king would come back from battle, the king would come triumphantly into the capital city to a parade of the people who stayed behind, excited that the king is back. And as the king marched through the city, going back up to his throne, he would have in his train the prisoners of war that he conquered. And these prisoners of war would be following behind the king as visible pictures that the king won the war and that these prisoners now would become slaves of the king and the new kingdom. And the king would come into all the shouting and adulation of the people. Then he would turn around and give to the people the spoils of war that he just took from the enemy. He would give the people gifts. 
And when David brought the Ark of the Covenant in, he even gave the people gifts that day because God the king was in the city. He went home to bless his house. But Michael was tripping that day. That's a whole nother story. So, so this is what happened in antiquity. So Paul is saying this. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he had in his train prisoners of war. People who belonged to Satan but now belonged to him. He set captivity captive. We're free slaves of Jesus now. But before he ascended, he descended down into the earth and got us out of Abraham's bosom, at least the Old Testament believers, got them out of Abraham's bosom, ascended. And when he went up to his father in the third heaven, he had in his train as a king all of these souls who had been purchased by his blood. So that's what's going on here. He let captivity captive because even though you're in paradise, you're still in captivity because God ain't there. Jesus only went there for three days and was gone. The thing that makes paradise paradise is that Jesus is there. So he said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Before was Abraham's bosom. Abraham cool, but hey, he ain't me. So it's paradise when I'm there. He leaves, but he doesn't leave them there. He comes back and gets them as he ascends in the book of Acts and in his train. We can't see it in Acts 1, but in the spiritual realm, all of those believers are going up to heaven. So where are they now? They're in heaven. Where's paradise now? According to Paul, it's in the third heaven. It started in heaven, came down to earth, went in the earth, then Jesus took it out of the earth and took it back to the third heaven. So when people die now, where do they go? They go to paradise. They go to the third heaven where Jesus is. That's why when Jesus comes back, we're going to come back with him. Y'all, it's too much. My time is up. I got to let y'all go. But I want you this week, and we're not even finished with paradise. Because paradise, 2 Corinthians 12, is in the third heaven because Jesus took it there. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, read it for yourself, that the new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven. And there are things that the new Jerusalem has about it that has language of paradise. Because wherever you see the tree of life, you got paradise. So when the new heavens and new earth occur and new Jerusalem comes down, the tree of life is there, which means paradise will be on the new earth. So where will we be for all eternity? Some say we'll be on the new earth still living in paradise. And if paradise doesn't come all the way down to the earth, it's going to hover over the earth. Again, depends on how you read Revelation 21 and 22. It's either hovering this city, this foundation, this city with four walls and all this stuff. It's huge. The, the new Jerusalem is paradise. It's either coming down to earth or it's going to hover over earth. I like the fact that it would hover over earth. And we can go from the third heaven into paradise down to the new earth. Why can't we do that? We're going to get a body like his. That could be material and immaterial. That can fly. Oh, y'all ain't ready for this. And when I hear stuff like that, don't you want to go? <laughs> Not yet, though. Right? <laughs> to live is Christ, pastor. But how could a man say to die is gain unless that man who said that got caught up there? And next week, we're going to talk about not what he saw, 
but what he heard, he heard stuff. I can't even talk about what I heard, y'all. That's why he knows to die is gain. Stand to your feet, stand to your feet. Oh, boy. It's good stuff here, y'all. Do some Bible study. Do some Bible study. Just like if you're going on vacation, you want to study where you're going, what, what, what all the amenities are, the fun things to do. So many fun things to do. Oh, man. I know I just scared some of you because you never heard this. But as I said last week, just because you never heard it doesn't mean it's not true. I don't want to serve a God who fits in my box. I want to serve a God who blows the box up. I don't want to serve a God that I can understand fully and completely, yet alone the things about the world to come. You can keep that kind of God. I want a God who blows my mind. My prayer this morning was, Lord, just keep on surprising me with who you are. Just keep on surprising me, God. He's not going to go outside of his word or his character, but we don't know everything there is to know about his word or his character. Your mind is limited. His ways are higher than your ways. Man, just thank the Lord for his power and his ability. Oh, yeah, let's pray, Daddy. Oh, wow, thank you, Lord. Your son came down to bring us up. Our high priest, he passed through the heavens. He took us with him. And even, Lord, uh, positionally, we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. One day we're going to go where we're seated, and that's why that place is home. Our citizenship there means more than any citizenship down here. But reading the story of Lazarus, Lord, encourages me for people around the world who are not as fortunate to live in a blessed country like the United States of America. There are people who are suffering persecution and hunger. They're dying, Lord, of diseases. But I thank you, Lord, there are no mistakes with you. That those who suffer now will rejoice later. Lord, we're going to talk about how you're going to wipe tears from our eyes and there'll be no more sickness, sorrow, or death. Lord, we're looking forward to where we're going. And I pray that that would give us hope for when we're dealing with stuff that's temporal. Paul taught us not to focus on what's temporal, but to look at the things that are eternal. Because the things that are eternal, those are the things that come from you. So Lord, teach us how to set our affections and our mind on things above, not always on things below, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bless this church. Help us to go out of here, Lord, and share the good news that Jesus came to set us free from sin. It's penalty, it's power, and one day it's presence. Now unto this Jesus, we present ourselves, and we thank you, Lord, that you're able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before your throne with exceeding joy. You're the only wise God, our Savior. We glorify you, we give you majesty, because you have all dominion and power and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you depart, once again, I welcome you to join us in the fellowship hall for a few moments with our children. If there's someone here who wants to talk to me about joining the church, Above all, you want to talk about joining the kingdom of God? Come talk to me. I'll stick around for a little bit.